temptation, and then uh, then he departed from him until an appointed time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went through all of the surrounding region. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord. I pray uh, that uh, your word would come alive and that uh, it would just uh, be a blessing to us here this morning, Lord. I pray that uh, we would know more about you after today. And I just ask that uh, you'd be here, be with your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm hoping this morning we're going to get a maybe a little bit of a deeper uh, look at what Christmas really was proclaiming what what the what is being proclaimed by the gift of Jesus Christ and really what he's announcing pronouncing uh before Satan and uh and his enemies after the uh baptism of Christ. You remember last time we looked at it Jesus baptized the heavens are open the father says this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased the holy spirit descends upon him in bodily form, like a dove. And so we have this incredible picture in the midst of all the people coming to have their hearts prepared for what God has for them. In the midst of all of that, you have this occurring. And then immediately after, the Scripture says, in each of the, in each of the Gospels, the Scriptures declare to us that the Holy Spirit drove him, led him, brought him out into the wilderness. Now, he's already in the wilderness, Remember, I told you he's, he's being baptized right at the same place where the children of Israel came from their wilderness wandering. So I just want you to get the picture. The wilderness wandering goes on. The children of Israel come into the promised land. Where do they cross? They cross at a place today called the Way of the Jews. And still today, you go there and, and both nations, Jordan... Uh, declares it the same place. This is the way of the Jews. And when you ask them, why do they call it the way of the Jews? They say, well, this is the way the Jews came into the promised land. This has been the name of this area in the wilderness forever. My grandfather told my grandfather, told my grandfather, and it was passed on and on and on. So you have this concept of what's called the preservation of names. And right in that area where Jesus is going to be baptized. Why? He's signifying something. Something is being proclaimed. And we, we, we get to where we hear the, the birth of Christ so much, we, we miss out on, on some of the things that are going on. Jesus is going to be tempted by the devil in a moment. We're going to look at it. Three times he's going to quote from the same book, the book of Deuteronomy. Why? Because the book of Deuteronomy is rehearsing for the children of Israel the, the law, the concepts that God has for them right before they enter into the promised land. Why would Jesus quote from that book, standing in the same wilderness, right near the same part of the Jordan River where the children of Israel crossed in, when it says he went out into the wilderness, I think he just walked out the other side of the Jordan River and walked right out to where the children of Israel wandered for 40 years. And he's going to fast for how long? 40 days. We really think all of this is just for happenstance. It just happens to be 40 days. It just happens to be the same area in the wilderness. It just happens to be all these things going on. So here's what I want you to grasp from Deuteronomy. And maybe it'll challenge you to do a little studying on your own. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, we are 
introduced to the idea that God disinherited the nations at Babel. Everybody remember the story of Babel? Okay, so we have the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Everybody's tracking with me? Genesis in the beginning. Adam and Eve fall, they go out into the world, you have several generations from them, and, and you run into this guy who is called the mighty hunter before the Lord, right? Nimrod, everybody remember? And you have the Lord saying, the only desire of men's heart is rebellion continuously. If I leave man united, he's going to continue to fight against me. So God disinherits the nations. Seventy nations. God disinherits them. He turns them over into the hands of the angels. One angel in particular, this day, at the, at the temptation of Christ, is going to declare to him, I have all the nations. If you bow down and worship me, I could give them to you. Everybody tracking with me? The Lord disinherits the nations. He turns them over to the angels. You can read about what God expected of those angels in Psalm 82. In Psalm 82, God has a judgment against the angels for not leading the nations properly, but rather continuing the rebellion, continuing the rebellion that the people had begun. And so all of this, guys, is foreshadowing. All of this is behind the scenes. Christ comes to the same part of the river, goes to the same part of the wilderness, fasts for 40 days. Don't you think he's declaring to us, hey, guys, I want you to know there's something else happening. Long time ago, the book of Deuteronomy declared the disinheritance of the nations. And Jesus is making a, um, an announcement. What's his announcement? I've come for the nations. I'm coming. In a moment, as we continue our study through the gospel, Jesus is going to send out his 70. He's going to send out the 70. Why 70? How many nations were there? 70. Why does he send out the 70? To declare to the nations. What? I have come to make a way. I've come to announce that the rebellion can end. Now you can continue in your rebellion. How many of you know you have the freedom to choose rebellion against God? And can you choose it for your whole life? You bet. Will God let you? Yep. Will he let the nations? Absolutely will. What is it that Jesus Christ has come to do? He's come to make a way. To stand at the beginning of a little road called the narrow road, the road of life. And to announce to everyone who wants to hear him, come follow me. For I am the way, the truth, and the life. You follow me on this road, this road ends in life. But the same Jesus declared what? Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there are who find that. Why? The broad way is easy to find, guys. It's easy to walk in rebellion against God. It's a little more difficult to make the choice that says, you know what? The rebellion ends today. What did John the Baptist come to do? Prepare the hearts of the people. For what? To repent. What does repent mean? Change your direction. Get off the road you're on. And get on the road of life. All of this is being worked. This is the, this is the point, guys. The... the The Christmas story that tells us that God gave us the greatest gift ever is a little more than there was a baby born in Bethlehem. And that He is going to grow, lead a sinless life, die for our sins so that we can have a way to God. He is proclaiming 
the end of rebellion. He's deciding, he's going to declare today, hopefully we'll see it as we work our way through, the idea that the nations are his again. When the nations were, were given over to the angels, what is the next thing God did? We read about in Genesis chapter 12, God said to a man named Abraham, where was he? In the middle of the nations. What did he say? Abraham, come, follow me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you to a place. You just come follow me. So what's Abraham do? Turns around walks out of the nations to do what? Follow God. What's going on? The birth of a new nation. Right? What's that nation going to be called? Israel. Those who are what? Governed by God. All the other nations in rebellion. Here, Israel. The picture of being governed by God. Now, are they going to be perfect? No. They're just as screwed up as we are. Hallelujah. They're just as messed up as we are. They have the same struggles we are. They have the same failures we have. But you have the the call going out. God draws this nation through whom He's going to shine a light to who? The Gentiles. Or another way of saying it, to the rest of the nations. So God raises up this nation. In this nation there will be a seed. A seed of Abraham. A child who will come through Abraham who's going to turn all the nation's hearts back toward the Lord. What's his name? Jesus. Here you have the the fruition of all those promises. They're happening right here. Jesus is being driven into the wilderness to say, Hey, I can redeem the people who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. I can redeem them. I can redeem the nations who have been in rebellion for hundreds of years. I can redeem them. If I can redeem those, I can redeem you. I can change your life. I can change your direction. But the the call is the same. The same call from Jesus to them is the same call from Jesus to us. What is it? Come, follow me. Take the narrow road. As we see this moment of temptation, we'll jump into this concept a little bit later as we continue with some of the the things that the the devil has to say to him. But there's three things I want you to see in it. And one of those is we look at victory. We want to see victory in our lives in following Christ and turning our back on rebellion. Turning our back on the enemy. Okay, now how many of you guys know the enemy can be a real spiritual being? You know that? How many of you know we don't require a real spiritual being to be a mess up? Okay, I, I, I got my own, it's called what? The flesh, right? Do we have a real battle of a rebellious flesh in our lives? We want to have victory. Jesus is going to give us the key to victory. So we don't wander for 40 years. He shows us the key. All we have to do is be willing to pick it up. To hear him say, come follow me, to take the key and go with him. What's the key? The first thing that I want you guys to see in verse 1, in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, next phrase, full of the Holy Spirit. We saw the Holy Spirit come down upon him last week. He's full of the Holy Spirit here. When we get to verse 14, it says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So the Holy Spirit's still with him, right? Full of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the first key that we have to have. We have to recognize our need to have the fullness of the Spirit. 
Now, a lot of people struggle in this. They struggle with, well, how do I do that? What do I have to do? What, what thing do I have to do? What work do I have to work to, to enter into this reality, being full of the Holy Spirit? Well, Luke is going to tell us in a, in a few chapters, he's going to let us know that our Father in Heaven will give us the Holy Spirit if we ask. He says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? When Jesus was asked, what must I do to do the work of God? What, what is the work? Jesus said, believe in him whom the Father has sent. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we moment by moment, day by day, ask for the Holy Spirit. More power. More strength. More of Him. We need that Spirit in our lives. Romans 8.14 says this, guys. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. If your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ, the Bible says... For all who believed in Him, He gave them the power to become, what? The sons of God. So this says, all who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. It's the Holy Spirit coming to the life of a believer. It is impossible to be a believer without the Holy Spirit. It is also possible to live your life not in the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I can have a lot of money in the bank and never spend it, live like a pauper. Can I? Walk around crying poor. Sometimes that's how we as believers live. God has given His Holy Spirit to us. He's told us the key to having the Holy Spirit is to ask, keep knocking, keep seeking. Ask God to pour out that power in our lives. And so as we live our lives by faith, trusting, believing in what God has told us, then we are being led by the Spirit. Galatians gives us another clue. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. <clears throat> Paul says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now remember, we said we're going to have a battle, right? There's going to have a battle in our flesh. We're going to have a battle with the real spiritual beings that want to lead us astray, that want to distract us. And, and recognizing the chief way in which we have victory in that battle is to walk by the Spirit. Not by the flesh. You walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. It's making a choice. It's making a choice that says, I'm going to live by God's Holy Spirit. I'm going to follow Jesus. He has said, Whoa, come follow me. This is the narrow road. Get on the narrow road. How do I walk in the Spirit? I follow Jesus. How do I know that's, that's walking in the Spirit? Because Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, and He said, come follow me. It's not complicated. We make it complicated. Oh, I thought if I was going to follow Him and walk in the Spirit, I had to speak in tongues. Well, you may, and you may not. It doesn't have anything to do with it. Follow Him. Follow Him. Walking in the Spirit means walking in obedience. Walking step for step with Jesus Christ. Recognizing the street signs. Knowing where I need to be going. I want to follow Him. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 17 of Galatians 5, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. How many of us know that? 
Yeah, the, the rebellion? Is it natural? Yeah, all you got to do is tell me, don't do that. And immediately, everything in me wants to do it. If Kathy says, I've made a bunch of fudge, don't eat it till tomorrow. What's the next thing I want to do? Yep, I want that fudge. I want that fudge. It's, it is the desire of our flesh to rebel. And so the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So I say, therefore, walk in the Spirit. How do I walk? How do I recognize? How do I know the street signs of walking in the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, self-control. We see the fruit of the Spirit in our life. What is in our wake? What am I leaving behind me? I want to follow Jesus. I want to be filled with the Spirit because He's going to temptation, but He's full of the Spirit. When He comes from the temptation, what is He? Full of the Spirit. When He goes throughout His ministry for three years, what is He? Full of the Spirit. We oftentimes look at Jesus and we say, well, of course He did all these things. He's God. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8 through 8, tell us that He emptied Himself. There was something that Jesus laid aside. And what we know He did was function in the power of the Holy Spirit so that you and I can see what happens with a man who is completely surrendered to God. That was the whole point of Gethsemane, wasn't it? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Every work he did, he said, I say only the things the Father gives me to say. I do only the things the Father gives me to do. And he accomplished them all through what? The power of the Holy Spirit. How do we do it? Do we do it differently? Same way, right? Jesus showing us the way. Come, follow me. In 1 John 4, 4, listen to what John said. He said, little children... You are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is what? Greater than he who is in the world. Jesus said, I won't leave you orphans. I'll give you what you need. I'll leave what you need so that you can be successful, so that you can overcome, so that you don't have to see the world continuing in rebellion. Are you allowed to? Yes. Can you make that choice for yourself? Absolutely. You are the master of your destiny. You get to choose. But Jesus made a way. Jesus made a way. So that that way could be marked out clearly for us. In verse 2, we can start to recognize the tactics of the enemy. How does the enemy come to us? Look what it says. For 40 days, he went into the wilderness fasting for 40 days... Being tempted by the devil. You guys see it? Now we're going to look at three temptations because there's a purpose. There's a reason behind what the gospel writers are giving us. I want you to understand that Jesus was tempted more than three times. He was in the wilderness fasting for 40 days. Being tempted by the devil. The language demands that the temptation was constant for 40 days. The devil kept coming. He's telling us about three specific things. Why? Because he has a point. He has a point. The book of Hebrews tells us he was in always tempted, even as we are, yet without sin, right? 
Why? So that we could know that we have a compassionate high priest who understands what it's like to be tempted. But he never fell. He never stumbled. He is there to show us the way. You know, once upon a time, I used to tell guys, you know, I felt like I was in a pit. And a lot of people would come by while I was in that pit. And they would look down in it. And they would say, hey, man, you're in a pit. And I'd look up and say, yep, I am. You probably ought to get out of there. Yeah, I, I think I should too. I'll pray for you. And off they go. I'm still in the pit. Another guy walk up. Brother, you're in a pit. Yes, I am in a pit. You should probably get out of that pit. Yep, I agree. I ought to get out of this pit. I'll pray for you. Man, this is working great. Finally, somebody come up and see me in the pit and said, Hey, brother, I've been in that pit. Let me show you the way out. Jumped down in the pit. Isn't that what God did in his incarnation? How else would you describe the incarnation? God becoming man. Got a better way than getting in the pit and saying to mankind, Let me show you the way out. What would he say next? Come Follow me. Come, follow me. He is our way. So for 40 days, the devil is tempting him. Jesus is going to show us how to overcome temptation. He's going to give us the key in, in the three temptations he shares. It says he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. That's, that's called a mild hyperbole. Yeah, that's an easy way of saying, man, uh, how hungry are you? We, guys, we do a fast, 21-day fast, usually beginning every, every year. How many of you guys have done it before? How long did it take you to get hungry? 40 days? Was it just 40? At the 40th day, you got hungry? Man, I was ready to eat my arm in the first hour. Yeah, that's, that is like putting it mildly, right? He was hungry. He was hungry. We don't want to be ignorant concerning the enemy's devices. How does he come at us? He comes at us whenever there's an opportunity. He can come at us in our strengths. He can come at us in our weakness. How does he come at Jesus? When he was hungry, right? He shows up right then. Oh, he's hungry. I got one for you, Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, listen to what it says to you and I. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might, standing in his power, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's got lots of little tricks, don't he? Yeah, maybe you heard people say he only has three plays in his playbook. You don't need more than that if three plays always works. I made a career, 10-year football coaching career in California, going to state games over and over and over and over, and all I ever needed was three plays. And everybody on the planet knew the three plays I was going to run. But here's the reality. If I do it better than you can stop it, who wins? Yeah, it's not an overly complicated game. Blocking, tackling. That's all you got to be able to do. So the same way, the devil's got schemes. He's got his plans. He's got his ways. We don't want to be ignorant concerning those things. So we have 40 days of temptation. In the same wilderness where where the children of Israel wandered for 40 years in rebellion against God. 
40 years, 40. Temptation coming on by the enemy. You don't think that same temptation came on the children of Israel? When they stumbled, what did they stumble in? Unwillingness to believe, to trust God, wasn't it? When they came to Kadesh Barnea and they sent out the spies, right? They're going to go into the land. God said, wherever you put the sole of your foot, I have given you. Wherever you put your foot, I've given it to you. They come back and they say what? There's giants. Did God say, I'll give you everywhere the sole of your foot touches unless there's giants and then you're on your own? That's not what God said, was it? Wherever the sole of your foot touches, I've given it to you. And so they come back and they're afraid. What are they afraid of? They're afraid that God's not going to be there for them. God's not going to be there for them, and so they fall to temptation. And they wander for 40 years. Now we see Jesus there. 40 days of fasting. It says, now he's hungry. The devil comes in his weakness. In verse 3, it says, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. I want you to hear what it is that the devil is saying to the Christ, the Messiah. The devil is appealing to his fleshly appetite. He's hungry. If we fasted before, we've all felt that way, right? I'm hungry. Wake up in the middle of the night, I'm I'm just going to make a peanut butter sandwich. Nobody's going to know. Just me and God, right? (laughs) The devil hits you in your fleshly appetites. What's the point? A lot of times people struggle with the concept of fasting. What's the point all about? Let me, let me kind of lay it out for you. When I'm laying there and that temptation comes on me, man, I need to go eat a peanut butter sandwich. I'm supposed to go before the Lord. Oh, Lord God, be with me. Help me. I want to put my eye, I want to be as hungry as I am for this peanut butter sandwich. That's how hungry I want to be for you. That's how fasting propels you into spiritual growth. And then what happens if it happens again five minutes later? That's what you do five minutes later. 30 seconds later. An hour later. It doesn't matter. What's the point? It's constantly the desire. Your desire for food is the desire that you want driving you to the Lord. Driving to the Lord. Driving to the Lord. That's the point. That's the point to come and to, and to, and to experience all of those things. And so the devil comes to him right then. He has fleshly appetites. Jesus is hungry, it says. If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. What's he saying? Don't, you don't have to trust God. Jesus, you don't have to trust God. You're the Son of God. Turn the rocks to bread. Could Jesus do it? Yeah, he could. Sure. But was that the purpose for which he'd come? Was the purpose for which he'd come to show his own power and might? Or was he coming to provide a way? Was he down in the pit to mankind saying, this is the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here is how we arrive at salvation. This is the, the goal, the method, the way. And so what's he trying to show? He's trying to show, no, I can trust in God. I can trust in God. I don't have to take care of this myself. How many of you have ever been tempted to take care of something yourself and not wait for the Lord? You guys remember a guy named Abraham? Abraham, one day you're going to have a kid. Well, 13 years later, still didn't have him. Maybe God needs my help. Nobody's ever felt that way before? Oh, yeah, God needs my help. I'm going to... It's actually his wife's idea, which he's going to get yelled at later for. Fellas, that ever happened to you? No? Uh, How come I'm getting dirty looks from all the women? 
I have had the whole, hey, I got an idea, and then I do it, and I'm in trouble somehow. <clears throat> well, Abraham does it. He takes another wife, gets her pregnant. She has a child, Ishmael. Okay, here we go, God. I helped you out. Ishmael is going to be the fulfillment of the promise. And then the Lord comes to Abraham again and says, Abraham, one day I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham looks up to the Lord and he says, Lord, may Ishmael dwell before you. And God, this is Jackie paraphrase, said, Abraham, I don't need your help. I got this, and it's not Ishmael. I'm going to love Ishmael, and I'll take care of Ishmael, and God does. But it's Isaac. Sarah's going to have a baby. She starts laughing. you got to be kidding me. Does he not know how old I am? Yeah, he don't care. He's God. Can you trust in God's provision? What if it takes 25 years? It took 25 years for Abraham. What about for Joseph? Joseph, 13 years, crying out to God. God, you forget me? You showed me a dream where I was going to have all this authority, but really all I found was slavery so far, thrown into prison for 13 years in prison. Nobody knows where I am. Everybody's forgotten about me. Did God forget about him? Did God know where he was? Can you trust in the provision of God? When Jesus is hearing from the devil, make that rock bread, Jesus has the power to, to affect his own circumstance. But he doesn't. Because it would be saying, I don't trust in God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 give us a clue to overcoming temptation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he'll put you on the right road. The narrow path. In all your ways. And so, he comes to him. Turn these rocks. Turn these rocks. Now we're going to look at the answers in a moment, but for now I just want to look at the, at the temptation. So <clears throat> he says, turn these rocks into bread. In 1 John 2.16, here's what we hear from John. John says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. From the beginning, from the Garden of Eden, when mankind falls into temptation, how does he do it? He does it this way. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. How did Eve do it? She saw that the, the fruit was good for food. She saw the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was pleasant to the eye. The lust of the eye looked good. And then she said it was desired to make one wise, the pride of life. There's your three plays. There's the three. He's going to run over and over and over. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The proverb says it like this. There is a way that seems right to a man. A man's going to come up to the crossroads of life, and he's going to look at those crossroads of life, and he's going to say, that looks like the way. That's the road of life right there. But what did, what did Proverbs chapter 3 tell him to do? Trust in the Lord. Lean not into your own understanding. What's the third one? In all your ways do what? Acknowledge Him. So who should we be asking which way is the way? That's right. We should go to the Lord, right? But there's a way that seems right to a man. And that way leads to death. It's the broad path of destruction. I don't want to just take what I think is the right way. I want to take what the Lord... How's the Lord directing me? What's God got for me? You know what? God's able... 
to do abundantly above all I can ask or imagine according to the power that works in me. He does not require me to get alongside and help him. If he tells me, Jackie, get a shovel and dig, what should I do? Get a shovel and dig. If he says to Noah, Noah, build a boat, what should you do? Build a boat. Should I say, Lord, this is dumb, I'm not near the water? Nope, just build a boat. Shut up and build a boat. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. What got the nations in the rebellion that they were in? Not trusting in the Lord. Rebelling against Him. And here Jesus is trying to show us. He's trying to lead us. He's trying to help us see. Look at the next temptation. Verse 5. The devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. Now how many times have you read that and said, Now when did that happen? Now you know. Deuteronomy 32.8. God said, I give the, I disinherit the nations and I turn them over to the angels. And a fallen group of angels took the nations. And a fallen group of angels stood before those nations and, and maybe even revealed themselves to them. You guys have never heard of that before, have you? Where an angel has showed up to somebody and told them how they ought to live their life? Anybody ever heard of Islam? Do you know how Muhammad got his his uh, revelation an angel yes you'd be right if you said that an angel showed up to Muhammad and gave him the revelation anything else that reminds you of anything else when we look guys when we look at the history of the world when we look at the the nation we look at false religious systems I'm not just talking here I'm talking around the world you look in the Bible and you read about Baal you look in the Bible and you read about Ashtoreth you look in the Bible you think where did all these gods come from Where they all came from a bunch of fallen angels leading the nations astray. Showing them the broad way of destruction. Because the heart of the nations was rebellion against God. And if you rebel against God, how many of you know that God will give you what you want? Don't you know that? I know it. 13 years, I ran as fast as I could on the road of destruction. If you told me God was at Walmart, I would not go to Walmart. That doesn't mean God's there, guys. I'm just trying to give an example. (laughs) I, I wanted the opposite. I was in total, outright, complete, and utter rebellion against God in every possible way. Now, how many of you know, as we look our way through the Scriptures, how many of you know that God always had someone sharing the Word of God with the nations? You guys heard of the flood, right? What was the guy's name that built the boat we talked about a minute ago? Noah? What did the Bible call him? A preacher of righteousness. Was the word available? What did the people do? Laugh him to scorn. You are so stupid. What are you doing? Building a boat. That's dumb. Yeah? Look, I don't care. You believe in the flood or you don't. The story has the same effect either way. There was a preacher of righteousness to the world. At that time, you probably have the, the majority of the, of the nations all within uh, a, a day's travel. You might not have the, the breaking up of the continents even at that time. 
Right? Was any of you there with Noah? No? Well, I'll be crazy. It's a couple guys. John, you're probably old enough to be there, brother. What was Noah's middle name? You forgot, huh? Ah, That's the other thing that happens. (laughs) So we look at it. I don't don't know what it was like, but I know Noah was a preacher of righteousness. (laughs) How many other guys? You guys heard of a guy named Enoch? The Bible says Enoch was 65 years old, had a child, drove him into the arms of God. How many of you know having kids drive you into the arms of God? I'm telling you, it was a big part for me. Yeah? Drove him into the arms of God. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. That entire time Enoch walked with God, all those years Enoch walked with God, what do you think he was doing? Just just sitting in his little hobbit hole? Not saying anything? The Bible declares over and over and over again, God will have his remnant. God will have his prophets. Genesis 14, you run into a guy named Melchizedek. Remember Melchizedek? Where did he come from? How did he come to know the Most High God? How did it happen? You can have all kind of theories, whatever theories you want. I'm just telling you what the text says. The text says, out of nowhere comes this guy named Melchizedek, bumps into Abraham. He's the prophet of the Most High God, priest of the Most High God. He's a king of Salem, probably Jerusalem. And as he's there, Abraham gives him a tenth of all. What does that mean? Abraham said, Melchizedek is greater than me. Where would that come from? You think just because the 66 books by 40 authors that we have, that's all God was doing in the whole world? God's telling us a story. He's telling us a story about how he redeems mankind. But God has had his people, his workers, his prophets, his priests all over the place. Moses, on the backside of the desert, runs into a a guy. What was was, uh, Jethro? Is that right? Well, where did he come to know God from? He's a priest to the Most High God. Moses didn't tell him about it. Where, how'd that happen? Because God's big, guys. Yeah, do you know that? He's a little bigger than the, the little box, maybe, that we got him shoved into. God is always moving, always working. Well, the, the, the devil comes to him and says, I'll give you, Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms. How can he say that? Because God gave them to him. Here, they don't want to follow me. All they want to do is rebel against me. He confused their language. You guys remember, right? He confused their language. They don't want me. Then they can have you. So Satan looks at Jesus and says, I got them all. I'll give them to you. How many of you know Jesus doesn't need Satan's uh, uh, um, deal? I don't need a deal from you. I don't need to make a deal with the devil. The second temptation he's calling him to compromise come on compromise compromise you don't have to go to the cross no you don't you don't have to go to the cross look i got a i got a better way lean into your own understanding make peace with me but that's not what god's calling him to do how do i know that that's the part of the deal i think that's part of the deal why because matthew says matthew chapter 16 listen when we get to to verse 13, it's going to say the devil goes away until he has another opportune moment, right? Well, look at Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 21. It says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, <coughs> be killed, and the third day raised. 
So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Everybody remember this? Began to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me. Huh. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. You are not... There he is, once again. Yeah, little needle. Oh, no, you don't need to go... You don't got to go to Jerusalem. Far be it from you, Lord. All you have to do is bow down to me, and I will give you the kingdoms of the world. You guys ever read the book of Revelation? You should. There's a blessing in it whenever you read it. Here's what it says in Revelation 11, verse 15. The seventh angel blew the trumpet. There was a loud voice in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. What was Jesus coming to do? Get the kingdoms. All of them. All the nations. When the the saved stand before the Lamb, what does it say? They are every tribe, nation, and tongue. Interesting way to put it, isn't it? What's he saying? I, got, I, I saved people from every nation. I took them right under those, those angels, all right under those fallen angels who want to see their destruction. I took people from every nation. They were saved. They were called. They came. They were redeemed. We see this work being worked out. He, does, he doesn't need the, the, the deal that the devil's offered him. Look at verse 9, the last temptation. Verse 9 says, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. He's, He's attempting to keep us from simple faith in God's Word. So what does he quote? Psalm 91. Why? Well, how many of you guys know that the devil knows the Bible? He has the ability to quote the Bible. The one thing he'd do with it is he'll twist it. Yeah, you remember the, you remember the temptation in the Garden of Eden? He didn't twist it there? Oh, God doesn't want you to eat it, because if you eat it, you'll be as smart as him. What do you call that? Twisting. Twisting. Twist in the scripture, make it say whatever you want it to say. One of the beauties of scripture is God gave it to us in a couple of ancient languages that help us to understand the exact thought that was intended in the text. Just requires a little work. You don't have to wonder. All you have to do is get out a shovel, stick it down in the word and turn it over. And you will see exactly what it is that God is trying to lay out for us. It is written. It is written. It is written. Here the devil comes to him and says, hey, it's written. What's written? If you jump off this pinnacle of the temple, all the people are down there. They'll see you fly. And all those people, they'll clap. They'll follow you wherever you go. They'll see this incredible act of power. Show them. Show them nothing will happen to you. Just jump off. Does Jesus have the ability to jump off the pinnacle of the temple? In a few verses... Next week or the week after, we're going to see Jesus walk right through the middle of a crowd of people who want to kill him. Right? They want to throw him off a cliff. 
And the Bible says, and so Jesus walked through the midst of them. Now, either he was a bad dude, which he may have been, or he's got more juice than we give him credit for, yeah? He Could he have stepped off that pinnacle and flew and all the people seen the power of God? Wow, look at that. Sure. Is that how he needs to do it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Does God have a way? And so Jesus is showing us. He's showing us rather in the same place where men rebelled and stumbled for 40 years. Jesus is saying, look, submit to God. Look, submit to God. Look, submit to God. And you will overcome temptation. Submit to God. Say, man, I want to I wanna accomplish this God's way. I want to do this God's way. Verse 13 says, And the devil had ended every temptation. He departed from him for an opportune time. Yeah? You guys know there are opportune times in your life? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger or give no opportunity to the devil. Will the devil take an opportunity if you give it? Yeah, go to bed angry. See if the devil doesn't sneak in there and start to spring up resentment. See if the devil don't go in there and start to divide. The devil gets an opportunity, he'll come. Just like he was there for Jesus, he will be there for us. But we want to learn from the responses. We skipped over those. We're going to look at those now. The three responses that Jesus gives. All three of them from the book of Deuteronomy. Just happens to be the book that talks about the disinheritance of the nations. Just has to be the book that talks about 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Twice in the prophets, the Lord says, I want you to spend 40 days fasting or 40 days doing this illustration to exemplify the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So this is not a new thing. This is not a new thing. Here he is, in the same place, doing the same thing. The first time Satan comes to him, turn these rocks to bread. What does he say? He quotes from him Deuteronomy. He says, it is written, man shall not live. How? By bread alone. I don't need to feed my fleshly appetites. My flesh grows just fine all by itself. Do you know you don't need to feed them? Do you know that the Bible says to starve them? Take your fleshly appetites and starve them. Don't let sin reign in your heart. Don't let sin be the thing in your heart that is driving you. It's been lots of times, man, I wake up or before I go to bed that I feel my heart flip. I can feel the desire for sin in my heart wants to lead me astray. I've got a few moments. I've got a few moments to submit myself to God or I'm going to go run down the road the wrong way. I can't play with it. I can't sit there and chew on it a little bit, suck on it like a lifesaver. If I do that, I'm going to stumble, I'm going to fall, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I ought not. So the Word says... Bring every thought captive into Christ, right? So we bring every thought captive. How do I do it? Look, my practical way, I just only got one trick, only got one play. My brain, I feel my brain flip, I feel myself start to stumble that way. I go directly straight to do not pass go to the Bible. 
I open it up. Sometimes I don't even have time to think about where I need to go because I better open it up. I need to get in it. I need to see it. I open that word up and I start to pour the word in. What did Jesus use when the devil came? He didn't use a word. He quoted a word of God, right? He quoted the word. Of, I don't care if you play Bible roulette. If that's what you got to do, play Bible roulette. But I'm just telling you, get your eyes in the word. And you will draw your thoughts captive. What's that mean? My thoughts switch from sin to Christ. I start to think about what I'm looking at. I start to wonder about the stories. I start to have questions about what's going on in the Word of God. And it begins to drive me where I need to go. In the same place where the children of Israel rebelled, in the same place where they lost their ability to trust in God, Jesus is declaring, if you want victory over the desires of the flesh, if you want victory over sin in your life, if you want to really comprehend what the beauty of the gift that God gave us at Christmas time is all about, then you need to understand the victory He came to give us. Be set free. Be set free. Man shall not live by bread alone. I don't need to feed the desires of my flesh. I need to feed on the Word of God. In Luke 4.8, Jesus, at the second temptation, He said, Jesus answered and said, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Where did He go the second time? The Word of God. Still one play. What's the Word of God say? The Word of God is laying out for me, Look, man, how do I battle with my own personal ambition? Worship God. Stop worshiping yourself. Isn't that what the devil's offering Jesus? Hey, man, I got all the kingdom. I can give it all to you. I can give it all to you. It's all mine to give. You can have it all. How does he battle personal ambition? You will worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What's this life about? What am I here to do? Amass the most toys so I can beat my neighbor? Is that it? My checkbook, whoever's got the highest number in the checkbook wins. What's it all about? What is life for? Why did I have children? Why, do I, why did God give me grandkids? What's it all for? What's it all about? It's about proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. Showing people, hey, look at this. He came to show us the way. Now you can rebel and you can live. Two roads laid out before you. Narrow way, broad way. You get to pick. But Jesus came to tell you, this is the way. Follow me. This is the way. Follow me. What's the third thing he said? Luke 4, 12. Jesus answered and said, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What happens when <coughs> you, <coughs> you desire the applause of the people? Man, I want all that applause. Well, what, what do I deal with? I didn't come to do my will. I come and do God's. Three things Jesus did. Man, run to God's will. Or run to God's word. Run to the worship of the Lord and not the worship of yourself. And run to the will of God. It's not about me. It's about Him. Well, this is a crazy time of year to talk about that, isn't it? It's not about me. It's about Him. It's not about my stuff. The gain of it or the lack of it. doesn't matter. It's about Him. It's about glorifying Him. It's about elevating Him. It's about lifting Him on high. It's about proclaiming the beautiful name of the Lord. It's about elevating Him. In all our ways, 
acknowledging Him so that we can stay on the path God's called us to. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and walk the road He's on. Walk that path. James 4.7 says this, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. How many of us forget the first part? We quote the second part all the time. Resist the devil and he will flee. Resist the devil and he will flee. Whoa, you're skipping stuff. Let's try not to do that. Submit to God. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Man, that's what we want to do. We want to, we want to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, right? And He will lift you up. Scripture just prior to this in James says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and He will flee. That's some important Scriptures to be having in our minds, no? I don't want to be doing something that puts me in a place where God's resisting me, like I'm supposed to resist the devil, do I? I want to walk in humility, man. I want to submit myself before God. First Peter 5.9 says this, Resist Him. How? Firm in the faith. What is that saying? Trust in the Lord. Faith is a fragile thing. And if you starve faith, it'll die on the vine. The Bible says faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. Starve faith, and it'll die. And you will no longer resist Him firm in the faith. You'll just do whatever's right in your own heart. There's a book in the Bible about that. Yeah? In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own heart. Or you can go to Proverbs 16 and say, There is a way that seems right to a man. But it's the broad road of destruction, not the narrow road of life. Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Does anybody suffer a temptation that's somehow different than everybody else's? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. What's that mean? It means you ain't got it worse or better than anybody else. Everybody's got something. Everybody has some battle with the flesh. Everybody has some battle with the enemy. Yeah? So get in a fight. Don't be somebody who just hides from the battle. Don't be somebody who says, I'm tired of fighting. I don't want to fight no more. Okay. That's losing. But you can make that choice. You can surrender to the enemy. You can maintain your rebellion. All that's required for that is to do nothing. That part's easy. Or you can fight. Resist Him firm in the faith. Ephesians 6.16 says, In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take up the shield of faith. Overall, let the shield of faith put out the flaming darts of the enemy. You've got to have the shield of faith. It means you've got to take care of faith. That means you've got to chase down your questions 
your doubts, your concerns, your issues. Don't be afraid of them. There ain't no reason to be afraid. Well, I have a question about, well, don't be afraid of the question. Find the answer. Do you, you really think that God don't want you to have it? That it was a secret. And if, if really, if every Christian knew what you knew, then they wouldn't believe either? Come on. Seek. Knock. Find. God ain't afraid of you to finding wisdom. God's not afraid of you turning over Scripture. God's not afraid of you diving in and finding the answers you need. Find them. Go after them. Seek Him. He's not afraid. Feed your faith. Or continue watching Jerry Springer. But I I don't think that's going to help. Right? Don't be afraid of those things. Go after them. Feed that faith. Take up the shield. Understand the deeper truths of Scripture. Know that Jesus came in the temptation to show us the rebellion's over. I've come for the nations. I come. I crawled down in the pit where you are. I put on flesh. He who knew no sin became your sin sacrifice so that you could become the righteousness of God. He crawled down in the pit and said, I know the way out. How did he tell us to go? Come, follow me. Come, follow me. Man, this is still the call. This is still the call that God gives. In Matthew 4.11, as the temptation winds up, listen to what it says. It says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, a lot of people think they fed him. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe they just encouraged him. Long road. This is only... The first 40 days of ministry. (laughs) He's got three years to go, right? A lot of events, a lot of things going on. But what's he proclaiming at the very beginning? What's he shouting? Hey guys, the rebellion's over. You don't have to stay in rebellion. I've come down into the pit to show you the way out. Come follow me. He's going to look at his disciples and say the exact same thing to them, isn't he? Peter, come follow me. James, John, come follow me. Now, I'm not promising you everything in life is going to be easy. I'm just promising you the rebellion's over and you can have a life eternal in me. Come. Come. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of the season. That's the beauty of the moment. That's the beauty of the day. Come, follow me. Hear the cry of your Savior standing in the wilderness where men rebelled for so long. Showing us how not to rebel. Showing us how not to stumble in our faith. Showing us how to follow Him. In the same wilderness, next next verse, what's He going to do? He's going to come back over the Jordan, and He's going to go into the Galilee. He's going to start preaching. He's going to start teaching. He's going to start proclaiming first to the nation of Israel, and then on the day of Pentecost to every nation that will listen. Come, 
The way is open. Salvation has come. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.